There is a city in our state, and sometimes it's called the most diverse square mile in the United States. The town is called Clarkston, and I have a pastor of Reach the Nations Community Church in Clarkston with us. His name is Bill Johnson. Hello, Jules. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. Now, Bill, the most diverse square mile, how is that possible in Georgia? Um, well, it's uh, God's change in Georgia, I yeah. guess. Um, so if you figure, we, we like to talk about the high school. So the high school is home to 42 nationalities and count dialects. There's 70-something languages spoken every day in the high school. So it's incredibly diverse. Wow. It's it's called, uh, it's, it's called the Ellis Island of the South. Okay. So it's where a lot of refugees are uh, start off their new life here in America after they're getting resettled here. And where is Clarkson? Clarkson's about three miles north west of stone mountain okay the big rock okay and it's about nine miles outside of downtown atlanta kind of off of 285 north yeah, yeah and, and, but why what makes clarkson the place where refugees go yeah like why it, why there it kind of it's funny because it all started like back in the 90s and and it, it there were plenty of multi-housing units uh, there was public transportation available there are plenty of jobs that were available it's kind of a place where they can blend in easily. And so it, those kind of things are what some of the agencies considered when they started re- resettling folks. And it just went so well that they just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And now it is what it is. Right. And how many new people, new families come to Clarkson? You know, you know? that has significantly dropped uh, because of, you know, the, the president's, you know, um, laws about who's coming in and the the number of refugees are resettled so i don't know exactly but but it has dropped tremendously i know three agencies have had to close their doors this year because they've just pretty much gone out of business you know for that but it used to be we used to measure it in thousands now we're measuring it in hundreds Mm -hmm. but still hundreds oh yeah oh Yeah. yeah hundreds hundreds of people is uh is there like a typical refugee story when they come here? So, um, a typical refugee story would be like this: um, you arrive, uh, someone picks you up, a caseworker picks you up from the airport that represents an agency that resettled you. Uh, they take you to a furnished apartment that might be like a couple of chairs, a couple of tables, you know, a couch or something like that. You may or may not speak English, uh, but then you've got three months with your caseworker, ninety days. That caseworker is there to help you find a job, but you're receiving benefits during that time. But after those 90 days, you're pretty much on your own. And and, and would you got to describe, I mean, tell me the countries are coming from, because a lot of it, I mean, uh, electricity is crazy. Oh, yeah. So like, like back in the early 1900s, we had a massive immigration boom, but everybody looked pretty much like you and me. Mm-hmm. You know, they were Europeans and, and that kind of thing coming in. But now who's coming are people from South Asia, Bhutan. Uh, Nepal, you have Iraq, you, we have Syrians that were coming for a while, um, Afghans, Pakistanis. Then there's people from Eritrea, Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, on and on, Congolese, Bur- you know, uh, Burundians, Central Africans. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, there's so many, many different nations that are, that are coming. And so what are some basic struggles that maybe we take for granted? Uh, among the refugees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Besides the whole language. Obviously, obviously language, but but culture. We're a very task-oriented culture. So time is very, very important to us because time is money. Time is respect in our culture. Not so much in theirs, right? Mm-hmm. So so they struggle with the whole 
understanding why I need to be on time, the purpose of time. Huh. Also, I think just the system, even if you even if you speak English, the systems that we have, the system, you know, for, for paying taxes, you know, they, they work. So they have to pay tax. The system for registering your kid to school. The system for if you're if you want to open a business, what in the world are building codes, you know, and yeah. what are all these licenses and Bill, you have to apply I, for? You're you know? telling me this stuff, they have ninety days to get it. A lot of times, yeah. I mean, there's there's obviously some of the agencies extend their care, but but by and large, uh, they're dependent upon their community after that point. Uh, if they don't get it, and a lot of times it takes it 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 takes years for them to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it can be difficult. So tell us about your church, Reach the Nations Community Church. How diverse? Yeah, like I want everyone to hear it because it's crazy how many nationalities. Yeah, it's we call it our big beautiful mess. Um, <laughs> so so all in all, I think over the years we've reached out to around twenty plus you know like uh, uh, ethnic groups. You know, ethnic groups come and go. So our church constantly changes mm-hmm. demographics and whatnot. But but we are ninety percent refugee. We've we've reached out to Bhutanese, uh, Nepali, uh, Persian speakers, uh, Pakistanis, Ethiopians. We've had Eritreans. Uh, we have a lot of Congolese, Central Africans. Yeah, so we have a, a pretty diverse group. I bet of, Sunday morning is people. interesting. It's very, it's very, very interesting. In six years, uh, we've never started on time. Um, <laughs> And, oh, uh, wow. I might be on time to your church. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, but we sing in three or four languages every Sunday. Our sermons are translated and... Um, Just depending on who's in the congregation. Yeah. And potlucks are usually pretty interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, not a lot of casseroles, I'm assuming, huh? Not a lot of casseroles. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. There's a there's a guy that works at the community center where we meet, uh-huh. and uh, he's kind of an older African-American gentleman. I got to know him a little bit, and I invited him for lunch one day, and uh, he comes back to the back after, after you know, the service was over, and the Pakistanis were fixing lunch that day, <laughs> and it was some kind of curry, you know, or something like that, and he kind of walks in, he grabs a the plate, then he kind of backs up and kind of looks at it a little bit. And he's like, he, he kind of says, um, he says, Pastor Bill, I, I just remember, this is true. He said, I, my, my wife's cooking fried chicken today. I think I'm going to go home and, and eat some fried chicken, you know? <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, well, they're interesting. When you're ministering um, to these refugees, what are some of the other challenges? Because I know that you have talked to me off recording mm-hmm. uh, about that they're really prone to predators and people coming in and oh, taking advantage of them. Yeah, so... I'll give you a classic example. A couple of years ago, I had a guy in our congregation call me and he's like, I need, I need you to look at my, my tax return. And, um, and I went and looked at it. Now, this is a guy that doesn't speak good English. Um, he works, you know, a, a factory type job and that that's his life. Uh, he has no driver's license, anything like that. But this tax preparer had him down as number one, a full-time student. Mm. Number two, owning his own business. Number three, uh, claiming 25,000 miles in business expenses for driving. And this guy doesn't even have a driver's license. He's a single man. All of a sudden, he had two dependents, right? (laughs) And it was crazy because what's happening is this guy's being promised a huge, massive return. But these tax preparers are getting a cut of that. And and by the time you go find them, after all that's over, they're gone. You can't find these guys uh-huh. a lot of times. And so they're going back to their country or whatever, sometimes with people's money. 
And then all of a sudden you've got folks that um, the IRS is sending a letter to that says, hey, you need to pay back $4,000 and they don't have it anymore. It's gone, right? It's gone. So that's the kind of thing. Yeah, I, I won't say which company, but internet, you know, scams and things like that. They're constantly getting taken care of. There was one, um, I think Joyce Meyer, like profile on Facebook. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, this guy was showing me this in his congregation and they know about Joyce Meyer over in Africa. And all oh. of a sudden, Joyce Myers was speaking French, you know, to him on Facebook. And I was like, I don't know if Joyce Meyer speaks French, you right. know. And so I contacted their ministry and it was it was some hoax, you know, uh, but Scam. but they were asking him to send money and, and that kind of thing. And but it got, wasn't Joyce Myers. It was somebody, no, it it was somebody else. Wow. Right, right. So we're used to email scams and things like that. But yeah, you got I don't people, have a rich prince from Africa or whatever. Right. Me. So yeah. if you've got people that have, you know, you got people that grew up in villages that never had emails and, and things like mm. that. And then they get here and they, they start seeing these scams and some things to them. We know if it sounds too good to be true, it probably isn't. But they don't always know how to discern that. So they're, they're predators, you know, the predators go after them and whatnot. So I think there are certain things you can do about that, but it, it's difficult. Yeah. You know, yeah. And just difficult. educating your people that. Educating our people. We try to find ways. We do, we were doing a free tax seminar for a while because we wanted people to, to get the help that they needed and, and get it right. The same thing with medical care. Uh, we've seen people write prescriptions and they don't even know what these prescriptions are. We've seen doctors that I think uh, receive them, treat them for what they think it is, but they don't know how to express the pain they're having or, you know, what what they're really feeling is wrong. And so, yeah, it's it's tough, you know, when they come here. Whole new system. How do you get your arms around such a diverse congregation? Obviously, I don't speak all those languages. So I try... Can you sing those languages? I can. Don't ask I, me I what mean, I'm singing. The mic's open if you would sing anything now. <laughs> Hakuna Mungu. Uh, I thought you were about to say Hakuna Matata. I was yeah. like, wow. Like, no, that's, uh, yeah. There's King. no one like Jesus. Hakuna Mungu Kamawewe. You know, that's that's the song we sing. So on our team at Reach the Nations, our leadership has always been 80 to 90% international representative of those countries. So we know that our best shot at communicating, reaching out, helping is going to be through indigenous people. And so that's our hope and that's our goal. So we work, we work with leaders from those countries um, and pour into them, resource them because yeah, they're the best shot we've got, you know, and it's not so important to me, honestly, that I get to claim that influence. Sure. The, the, the point is for me, I get to see them and their needs met, see them taken care of. And it's not about the fact that I get to do it. I just, I want to get it done, Yeah, you know, so, and they're the best way, you know, they're the best people to help them. So. Well, and Bill, um, you were sharing with me earlier before we started recording that you are discipling these leaders in other countries and now you're seeing them take it to their back to their country. Yep, absolutely. That's our heart at Reach the Nations. Our heart is to love and serve and, and, and see people here come to Christ. We want to see them discipled. And then we know that again, they're going to be the best people to reach back into their homes. They already know the language. They already know the culture. So, um, there's a guy, you know, from our church, his his name was Jimmy, and um, Jimmy has gone back to his home country in Africa, 
has taken the gospel farther than, you know, some of the missionaries that have been there that have been there for years, simply because he knows the language, he knows the context, he knows the culture. And uh, we've seen people, unreached people groups come to Christ because of that, you know, and uh, we're getting ready to do some things in South Asia with some of our folks. We've commissioned, I think, three people, you know, out of our church that are now working in the uttermost, you know, serving among those people. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's incredible to see. And, and Bill, none of this is by chance. I mean, we're thinking that they're here in our state of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And all these countries that you're listing off yeah, that came here. Right. I mean, none of this is by chance. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, a lot of people want to think that it is, you know, but I always like to look at what Paul said in Acts chapter 17. Uh, I think it's around verse 26 where he said, you know, and God made from one man every nation of mankind to inhabit the whole earth. Talking about the unknown God. And he said, and he determined their appointed times in the boundaries of their habitation. Uh, God did this so that they would seek him and find him, though he's not far from one of us. So if you look at that passage, Jules, what it says is that, you know, God is the one that extends people's boundaries of habitation. So it's like if God says, I'm, I'm not going to extend your boundary any further than the country you're already living in. Well, then that's, that's as far as you're going to go. But people migrate because God's sovereign hand extends the boundary of their habitation. That's what Paul said about our God. So I heard a guy, Evie Thomas, is uh, he used to be the president of the Ethnic America Summit. He said, you know, there's a lot of Americans that are disturbed and surprised by the increasing number of internationals to American soil. And that's so true. But he said, our God is not surprised and nor is he disturbed, you know, because he's going to use this for his purpose. And and that's exactly what Because now what you're he's seeing doing. these refugees go back. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I spent, you know, just so much time overseas doing that but i i've never seen the fruit in years of you know going back and forth overseas that i have seen among indigenous people that have gone back and begun work there there's there's no comparison so they they it's yeah so god's using it to advance the gospel and that's that's something i said earlier is that um i was speaking at a school two weeks ago and i said because God's bringing all these people here, it does a couple of things. It gives them an opportunity to hear the gospel. There are people that would never have heard it had God not brought them here to the country. I know that. I've mm-hmm. experienced that. Mm-hmm. But it also gives the church a responsibility mm-hmm. to take it to them. And I said, um, you know, what if God's fulfillment of the Great Commission happens not just because of what we did overseas, but because of how we loved our neighbor here? Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So so who knows how God's going to fulfill the Great Commission? We're not told that. We're just told, make disciples of all nations, you know, baptize them and, and, and equip them, you know, teach them. And, and when God brings them here. Love them. Love them, you know. And, and yeah, we, we've had so many people because of the love that we have shown them uh, come to us and say, I'm not a Christian. I'm this. I'm 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 a Muslim or I'm a Buddhist or I'm a whatever. But I've never been shown love like this, and I want to know more about, you know, where that comes from, you know. So yeah, Christ has His ways, you know. But but we have to take that step and love them here. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so it's it's so much easier sometimes for us to go overseas and fall in love with them there. 
but then not think about them when we come back. But I think God's trying to shift our thinking into saying, listen, I, I am doing something among the nations and I'm bringing them to you. But do you understand my heart in it, mm-hmm. my plan in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so. Bill, I'm thinking what a great thing. Um, you know, when we're driving around Atlanta, we always point out Stone Mountain to the kids because mm-hmm. there's different areas of the of the town, you know, the city that you can yes. see it. And I think, how about instead of me pointing out or instead of just pointing out the Stone Mountain to the kids, I can say, yeah. okay, now let's pray now. There is a, in the shadows of Stone Mountain, there mm-hmm. is a, a town called Clarkston. Absolutely. That is diverse and that God's bringing these people from all over to hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. There's a reason and purpose of what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's going to be a historical place in the, the, the hallmark of the Great Commission, right? right. <laughs> and it's right so here in our state. It's right here. Yeah, it's yeah. right here. It's... Yeah, it's not far at at all. It's very accessible. Right. Well, and great. You just segued <laughs> me to my next question is accessible. Okay. How can people be involved? Because I know that there are some really neat ways that people can at least dip their toe in and say, okay, because it is kind of intimidating to go up to somebody who's Muslim and say, hey. It is. It's funny. So we, um, we work with short-term teams all year round. Uh, we also have internships. And one of the first things we do, in fact, we got a group coming in this weekend and for their orientation, one of the first things we do is we teach them a little bit about, hey, do this, don't do this, you know, here's who this is, here's who that is. But then we release them in the community for about, you know, 20 minutes and we say, I want you to go out there and I want you to make a friend. Mm-hmm. And it puts them face to face with having to cross a culture that they're not, you know, some of them have never seen Muslim people or they've never seen, you know, uh, interacted with international so much. but. But we train and we equip for that. So we have short-term opportunities, right, for people to come and serve at and serve through. Um, I know that there's a lot of nonprofit organizations, Friends of Refugees, are, they're, they're great friends of ours. Um, Global Frontier Missions are great friends of ours. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity. Clarkston International Bible Church is there. But, but you said something, you know, earlier, and, and, and I want to point out, it's, it's important that when people come, partner with somebody that's there long term, right? Anybody can come and, and give out water and pass out this or that or have a block party. But my question, you know, as somebody that's local on the field, and this is a question we ask a lot, is that who's going to follow up on the work and, and the labor that you give? And I think that's what we want. You know, God God wants us to serve but at the same time, he also wants us to build his kingdom, you know, and so service can be a way to build the kingdom, but it takes more than just one act of service. And so, so we, we would love to see people come and, and partner with people. Um, we're doing a Thanksgiving dinner, you know, for the community. Uh, we do a, a Christmas thing. We have accountants come from time to time to do free tax seminars. Uh, we have a group of nurses and doctors that are coming you know, that want to come and serve. There's lots of ways that, that you can come and serve in Clarkston. So whatever skill set somebody has, they could just get in touch with you and say, this is this is what I can do. I yeah. have this. Or... You know, we'll help you screen that. So yeah. like we had a baseball team want to come and do a baseball camp uh-huh. and uh, people just don't play baseball. You know, they, they play soccer. In fact, they took all the tennis courts and made them soccer fields. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind sure. of funny. So. Yeah. But we'll help you screen through that. I mean, there's agricultural projects. We now have a farm that we do agriculture and and things like that. So we need people that have those kind of skills. 
retired teachers, tax accountants, CPAs. I'm looking at the moment for people that can come and do financial education, talk about saving and talk about budgeting. A lot of these folks have never had money to manage. And so they just don't know how to do it. And they're trying to sort through, okay, if I get a thousand dollars, right. Or I make a thousand dollars, how much of that should I send back home and not let my family starve here. Well, when you're thinking about that, you're also not thinking about saving. You're not thinking about future. Mm -hmm. And so we need people that have a financial background that can come and break it down. How do you buy a house? You know, we have people that come and do home buying seminars, right? I remember buying a house. It was intimidating for me, right? you know, but imagine if that's your second language, you know, and you're talking about brokers and interest rates Mortgage and this kind of, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so how do you do that? Right. How do you buy a car? You know, um, so if you're a used car salesman, you know, we, we need you, you know, so if you're a mechanics, you know, you can come up and donate your time or whatever. So there's so much that you can do. Right. Out there. Yeah. Bill, how long have you been with Reach the Nations? So I planted Reach the Nations, I guess about seven years ago, okay. but I've been, I've been working and planting churches in that area for 15, 16 wow. years now. Wow. So you've seen a lot of changes. I've seen an awful lot of changes. Mm-hmm. Let, let me ask you. Lot. Let me ask you something. When um, what happens in ministry, in church planning, in loving such a diverse people group, when you just can't keep going any further? Yeah, you're looking at it right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is me after taking a month off, you know, because of you know just facing that burnout. This is what I was wanna, wanting to tell you the other day, or I heard this the other day, I wrote some of these down. And it's really interesting you said this, because this is something I really want to talk about. 90% of ministry and pastors work more than 46 hours a week. I think people know that, but they say 80% of pastors believe ministry negatively impacts their family. 33% says it's an outright hazard wow. to their family. Uh, I could go on, you know, 50% are unable to to meet the needs of the job. 90% of ministers feel inadequately trained to cope with the demands of ministry, 90%. Mm-hmm. And then this says 70% have a lower self-image and 70% of ministers and pastors report that they have no one they consider a close friend. You know, so you take all that when there's stress and, and add to this in our world it's cross-cultural, yeah. right? So I, I cannot minister from an American context that I'm used to, to the people I'm ministering to. I have to, I have to jump out of my culture and tolerate, and I say tolerate things, but, but adapt to things that are going to be necessary. And it stretches me so much. So how do we deal with it? How do we do it? You know, I, I had to learn the hard way, to be honest with you, because I took a, a total crash uh, several years ago. And I had to learn that, you know, prevention is the best cure, you know, so you have to take time off. And and I'm working on writing an article right now uh, with some people because one of our partner churches, he's a he's a trustee of an international, you know, missions board and he's in member care. And I asked him the other day, I was like, man, what's 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 the international missionary policy on sabbaticals and this kind of thing? He said, why are you asking and I said, you know, because in 15 years of ministry, I've never been allowed to take a sabbatical. And that's just, you know, I, I think people well, I'm don't. I'm sure every time you turn around, there's somebody else in need. There's somebody else. Man. It's new on, to the country on, that oh, needs. It's, yeah. 
it's unbelievable. And, and refugees themselves are so needy, right? And yeah. so absorbent of any kind of friendship. Well, love, yeah, because you're just telling me about people that don't even have electricity and they're having to learn how a thermostat work and how oh my gosh yeah how to do their taxes yeah. and not get swindled i mean yeah and i mean i could see how that piles up on you yeah 80 percent of our congregation can't drive and and we run 200 you know from time to time so it's constantly taking somebody here taking somebody there pastor can you come help me here can you come help me there and uh and and of course that's what we want to do but it's it's so difficult you know it's just it demands so I'm writing an article because what I'm recognizing is if you're an international missionary, there's time set up for you typically to take a sabbatical. And yeah, here's the deal. Like I can go down the street and and get Burger King when I want. Right. But the reality is my everyday looks like an international field, Mm -hmm. you know, and the demands and what I have to do and whatnot. And so I don't know that people really understand, those of us that work in the international context here, how much we need that same sabbatical and that same time to recharge, to refocus. Mm-hmm. A good prayer partner of mine said something the other day. He said, you know, activity can really kill your intimacy, you know, with the Lord. And I think there's so many people out there, Jules, that are just running and running and running and running that their relationship with the Lord gets, yeah. you know, just depleted almost. And so... I just, um, you know, finished taking a month off and I have a, um, a Christian counselor that I meet with. Cause like I say, it's tough to find close friends when you're a pastor sometimes to just unload things on. So I have a guy that I go and talk to and he said, you know, look, man, you, I think you need some more time, you know? So, <laughs> so anyway, um, I think I'm really trying to reassess my boundaries, yeah. you know, with folks. I mean, you're going to do international ministry you have to be flexible but the body will break at some point you know we're just not meant to bend in certain places and so i i, I think you have to reassess your boundaries you have to reassess okay what is it going to take what is this calling going to cost me to be effective right so i'll give you an example real quick i live in both worlds right the american world and the international world so on Monday morning, I might have a meeting at eight o'clock. Well, on Sunday night, I've been invited to a Congolese. This is true. It's a true story. I've been invited to a Congolese family for dinner. So I ask what time's dinner. They say seven o'clock. I show up at seven o'clock. Nobody's there. They're out at the store. Okay, this is very true. This is every day. They're out at the store. Well, what do you do? Okay. Well, you come in, they invite you in, the child invites you in, you sit. If you leave, they're going to wonder why you didn't come, right? And why why you didn't show up. Wow. So you come in, maybe you're there for an hour, right? Before they show up, they start cooking maybe at nine o'clock. And this is going to take a while. Uh, and you're thinking, man, I got to get out of here. I got an eight o'clock meeting tomorrow morning and whatnot. Um, but then finally at 12 o'clock, they start setting the table. Wow, 12? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is common, right? At 12 o'clock, they start I would die. I couldn't do it. I can't stay up that late. Right? You know, but here's the thing. This is a family that's been waiting for you to share the gospel with them. Mm. What do you do? Mm -hmm. This is a family that you have earned influence from and prayed for, Mm -hmm. and now this is what their culture is asking of you. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Right? So you, you, you stay. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you stay for that because that's what God has called you to do. And then 
I don't know, you send an email the next morning saying, hey, I'm running late, you know, whatever. But it's so hard to be in both worlds. Right. Um, and so we face burnout all the time. Did, does that just heighten the need for churches to come and help? It does. If if they're willing to help in the right ways. So, you know, I'll lead a Bible study. The first 20 or 30 minutes of that Bible study is me sorting through everybody's mail, okay? Because they don't know what this piece of mail says, and it's a bill from a hospital, right? Or that later turns into a collections agency because they didn't know. It's a red piece of paper that their apartment complex stuck on everybody's door and it's not that important, but it freaks them out, Mm -hmm. right? So they bring me this stack of mail. And by the time I get around to discipling people, I've got to move on to something else. If I had people that would just come and help carry some of that load and carry some of that weight, volunteer and say, hey, listen, you know, I, I don't know what I can do, but is there anybody that I can, you know, deliver some food to? Is there anybody that I can take to a doctor's appointment, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, you know, we we need those volunteers. I need people that can help lead a small group. You know, Google Translate can do amazing things, right? Believe it or not. So we use it all the time. We're in desperate need always of of help and labor, for sure. Because these people are hungry. They're hungry, and they're hungry for the gospel, but at the same time, they're hungry for food, you know, physical food. I, I, I'm using that as a you know metaphor, obviously, but it's like, yeah, we, we want to hear the gospel, but at the same time, I've got this letter saying I owe money. You know, I, I've got to feed my kids. I've got to pay these taxes, you know. So you could spend all day long doing service projects. And as a pastor, it's hard because I know I'm there to evangelizing there to make disciples and a lot of times what's what's getting in the way of that are things we could use the servants in the kingdom to come and help Mm -hmm. us do if that makes sense yeah 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 bill i just know someone's listening right now and Mm -hmm. they hear your heart Mm -hmm. your honesty that you just you're not superman you can't do it all and not at all (laughs) your brothers and sisters in christ to come alongside absolutely and help help lighten this load so there's different ways you said mission 24 but mm-hmm. mainly get in touch with you and so give yeah. me the church website yeah www.rtnatlanta.com and there's a link on there that says connect i think with us and you can go there and it'll guide you how to fill out an interest form an application and then we'll be in touch yeah yeah well hey listen if you got any problems getting in touch with bill uh get in touch with me i'll make sure to connect everybody together and Listen, I know it's intimidating thinking about going up to another person from a different country who have um, different language, looks different than you, but Bill is going to help walk you through it. Oh, yeah. All you need is a heart of obedience to God. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Jules. Hey, thanks for coming in and um, and doing what you do. I mean, we, I mean, I appreciate it. Um, just hearing how God is using this ministry and using you and right here. It's been amazing. In our backyard. Yeah, it's amazing. Come and be a part.